Welcome to the Real Estate Ventures Podcast. In this podcast, we will be speaking with various real estate and business professionals about real estate investing, entrepreneurship, and financial freedom. So, if you're interested in learning about real estate investing, then stay tuned and be sure to take advantage of the free tips and strategies that will be shared by our weekly guests. And now, your host, Penny Lubinsky. Hi guys, this is Penny and welcome to the Real Estate Ventures podcast. I'm really excited to have everybody join today and we have a really, really awesome guest by the name of Brian Briscoe. Brian is the co-founder of the multifamily investing firm Four Oaks Capital, controlling over 250 units, valued over $12 million. He is also the host of an exciting new podcast, Diary of an Apartment Investor, which we'll talk about a little bit later. He is active duty in the military as a Marine Lieutenant Colonel, stationed in the Pentagon, set to retire in 2021 after 20 years of service. Brian, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Penny. I appreciate it. Awesome. Glad to have you here. The first thing that I just wanted to throw out there was that I actually was on Brian's podcast, his Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast. It's an awesome podcast. Great for people looking to learn about real estate and looking to transition into full-time real estate or invest or anything like that to be gained. He has this really, really cool part where you basically, he gets an, uh, an aspiring investor and an experienced investor on the podcast at the same time. And the aspiring investor gets to ask questions to the experienced investor and you get to learn like live on the podcast. So I was the aspiring investor and we recorded this back in the summer. It was really awesome. It was really fun. And I'm kind of hoping one day to be back on the podcast, but as an experienced, as the experienced investor. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, some, something I've thought about doing on the podcast, I haven't done it yet. Um, the podcast is still fairly new. We, we launched in July, but uh if, if any one of the aspiring investors, you know, lands their first deal, you know, gets a significant uh, deal, I'll bring them on the, back on the show and we'll just do a, a real quick, you know, deal analysis. You know, how did you get it? How did, you know, so absolutely, you know, as soon as you, you get your first, you know, first uh, piece of a GP, you know, give me a call or, or your first multifamily property that you, you know, however you purchase it, you know, just give me a call and we'll bring you back on the show. But um, yeah, I, I love the format. It's, it's something that, uh, you know, I wish I had, you know, a couple of years ago. And um, that's kind of why we created it like it was. We wanted to do something a little bit different. And my partners and I to the T wish we had something like that. Wish we had people that we could just call up and, and start asking questions to. Yeah, no, it was really awesome. I remember at the time um, it was so clutch because what I literally did was I took like my top four or five biggest questions that I couldn't really get good answers to. And I just presented them live, like on the podcast. So it was just great, a really, really good and real authentic uh, learning experience. It was, it was really fun and a really cool idea. So yeah. yeah, it's awesome. Everybody should definitely go and check that out. It's the Diary of an Apartment Investor by Brian Briscoe. Um, Brian, circling back to when you were full-time in the military, how did you, uh, like, what made you start thinking about real estate? What led you down this path? So I... I back it all the way up to, you know, when I was brand new in the military, you know, I, I was, I was looking at, you know, a lot of things, obviously, you know, I was, I was 20 something, you know, I'm in my first career, but I remember, you know, some advice my dad gave me a long time ago. You know, he, he basically said, you need to figure out how to do finances. You need to figure out how to make money. Um, it was actually his birthday yesterday and kind of, 
he, he's been such a role model for me in many ways. Uh, he never figured out how to be wealthy. And he was honest with me about that a long time ago. And he said, hey, look, I have never figured out the secret to money. If, if money is something that you want, you have to figure out how to accumulate wealth. You have to find somebody who can teach you. So, you know, as, as a mid twenties, you know, guy, I started reading books, you know, rich dad, poor dad, you know, very cliche, you know, I read rich dad, poor dad, and I decided I wanted to invest. Right. Um, but that's, that's the absolute truth. That's what happened. And I remember reading rich dad, poor dad, and he talks a lot about commercial real estate in there. And I remember thinking very specifically, oh my gosh, commercial real estate sounds too complicated. There's no way I would be able to even start learning about that. I don't even know where to start. Then I thought, but I can do single family. I mean, that's, that's accessible. That's something that's within my reach. And so I got on barnesandnoble.com, you know, instead of Amazon, Amazon was like the brand new bookstore at the time. And I'm like, Psh, I like Barnes and Noble so much better. Um, we, we didn't trust Amazon yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's when Amazon was just a bookstore, you know, if you, if you guys remember that. But uh, yeah, I didn't quite trust Amazon yet. But uh, end of the day, you know, bought a bunch of uh, books on, on single family investment homes and picked up a couple. You know, every time we, we moved in the military, which is, you know, um, our shortest, shortest time in one spot was nine months. And, you know, the longest time we've been in one spot is three years. So every nine months to three years, you know, we pick up and we move. And so my plan was to pick up a single family home at every duty station, live in it for, you know, one to three years and then turn it into a rental. You know, so we did that a couple of times. Um, it didn't work everywhere, but uh, we did it a couple of times and it just wasn't, it wasn't scaling very fast. You know, I had this idea when I was 25 that, uh, um, you know, I could pick up, you know, five or 10 rental homes and I'd be financially set for the rest of my life. And turns out that five rental homes isn't, isn't enough for that, you know, but uh, I started looking at how to, to scale was, was the question in my mind. You know, I, I convinced myself that real estate was a good way to go. Um, with the rental houses that we had, we were, we were cash flowing on most of them. Um, yeah, most. And um, the, the one that we didn't cash flow on had appreciated like crazy. It was in Southern California. Um, so we ended up coming out, you know, way in the black on that one when we sold it. But I, I had kind of figured out that real estate was a good vehicle for it. Um, and then as I was looking for methods to be able to scale single family, I stumbled across a multifamily book and read it and thought, wow, commercial real estate, I can do this. And, and that's when I started going all in. I started listening to podcasts. I started reading more books. I started, you know, attending meetups and going to events. And then I paid for coaching, you know, and, and for, from there it was just, and this is like a two-year period. You know, I graduated from podcasts to the, the online program. And um, yeah, end of the day, ended up finding a couple of partners. And, you know, like, like you said in the intro, you know, where we're at right now is 250 units. We, um, we have several more under contract right now. And uh, probably by the time this podcast airs, we'll have closed on a couple more. So today's Friday, next Tuesday, we, we have a, a closing schedule for another 167 unit apartment building. Wow. But, uh, wow. Yeah. And I, I glossed over, you know, four years in, in like 30 seconds. So, you know, definitely hit me up with whatever you want me to go into more detail on. Right. No, it's interesting because 
I feel like most people had a similar mindset when getting into real estate as to what you had. They feel mm -hmm. like multifamily is out of reach. It's something they don't understand. It's out of their ballpark. They can't do it. Most people feel like they need to start with single family, um, maybe graduate one day to multifamily, maybe not. That's sort of what I did. And I went and mm -hmm. I would basically call it like wasting, you know, basically a year or two of my life pursuing single family. I actually got one deal done in mm -hmm. Pennsylvania. Um, yep. It was a good deal, a small deal, but a good deal. And, and I came to the same realization that like, it wasn't scalable enough. Like if I can mm -hmm. do this, you know, with single family homes, you know, two, 300 times, you know, that would be meaningful, but it's hard to go ahead and, and acquire that many single family properties. It's a, it's a huge headache. Why not get, you know, one acquisition, a hundred, a hundred doors under one acquisition instead. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was, it's interesting that most people kind of feel that way. But what I found was uh, for myself, and I haven't closed a multifamily deal yet, but once you start, um, committing to the multifamily space. And once you start analyzing larger deals and start like envisioning yourself actually acquiring them and being ready to put in offers and do it, then like your mind sort of like adapts and it's like, okay, maybe I could do this. So yeah. I just want to hear from you. Was that, is that kind of how it went? Like, how did you, how did you find the transition from single to multi? You know, it was, there, there was definitely some stretches going on, you know, it was, I mean, my, your, your mind's, you know, not an inflexible thing, you know, but it took several different events to, to basically, you know, break through some of my limiting beliefs, you know, so I held a limiting belief that, you know, apartments was, was too big for me, you know, starting, you know, 2005 when I first started even thinking about real estate and it took me about 10 or 12 years to, to break through that. And, you know, it was, it was, like I said, one book I read that actually made multifamily accessible, you know, and all of a sudden I read that book. It was, um, it was a bigger pockets book. It was Brandon Turner and it was, you know, and, and the title is like a run on sentence, you know, how I bought a 24 unit apartment building with little, one, little or no money down. And, you know, I, I think the title keeps on going, but, uh, <laughs> um, you know, it was a very short book. It was like 30, maybe 40 pages total. But, you know, when I read it, I looked at that and I said, you know what? I could actually do that. And that was one of those things that just, you know, it was, it was leaps and bounds forward at, at that point, you know? And so I started looking for smaller multifamily because in my mind, a transition from a one unit, you know, single family home to a five unit or an eight unit, you know, smaller multifamily wasn't that big of a transition. It wasn't that big of a leap. And I felt that I could handle something that size. So that's what I started looking at. And then through going to meetups and conferences, you know, I had a couple of, of very key points in that. Um, yeah, very, very key points where, you know, my mind was stretched again, where somebody made me realize that I didn't have to do single family. I didn't have to do small multifamily to be able to start doing the larger deals that I eventually wanted to get into. So, you know, my, my original plan when I decided multifamily was I'll buy a sixplex. And I'll operate it for about a year. And if I can refinance and get some of my cash back, great. But that'll be proof of concept. And once I've operated a sixplex, I'll have the credibility that I need to be able to find partners and raise capital and be able to go to other people and say, hey, we're raising money for a deal. You know, so that was the plan. And I eventually wanted to get into the, the type of, of apartments that we're in now. But that's how I thought I had to get, I, I, I had to, you know, I, I thought I had to walk that path from one to six to 20 
before I could start getting the, the 50s and above. Um, but uh, you know, like I said, I started going to meetups. I started learning more, you know, got into a, a paid education program. And then I, I bought into a mentorship program. And, you know, each, each one of those things individually stretched my mind a little bit more and made me see that, you know, it's really a little, it's, it's more accessible than I ever thought it was. Right. Got it. And I just want to touch on the, the mentoring program for a minute because um, a lot of people starting out wonder about that. And there's a lot of, um, you know, news going around that, oh, it, it could be a guru and it's not real. You don't need it. Some people say you do need it. There's different types. You got to vet them. Um, what, what's your opinion on like mentorship? Is that something that you think uh, everyone knew should, should go and get or can they go, you know, can they sort of get it done without it? Yes to both. Um, should you have a mentor? Yes. Uh, can you do it without it? Yes, is, is the answer. So um, one of my partners, you know, Eric Shirley, you know, a couple of years ago, you know, called himself anti-mentorship. You know, he was the, I can do this by myself type. And I started out that way. Honestly, I started out being, I can do this by myself type. But what mentorship did for me is it, it accelerated my timeline, you know. So my, my mentor helped me focused on the first things, you know, put first things first, you know, kind of uh, like, you know, Stephen Covey would say in his seven habits book, you put the first things first. And, and, and my mentor helped me line things up, put them in the right order and prioritize the right things at the right time. You know, which had I been doing it by myself, it probably would have taken me several years to learn the lessons that, you know, a mentor could teach me in you know, a couple of one hour calls, you know, so can you do it without a mentor? Yes. And most of the sticker prices for mentorship programs are quite large, you know? So it's one of those where, you know, I, I don't think I'd recommend, you know, pulling out a credit card and putting, you know, $20,000, $30,000 on your credit card for a mentorship program. Um, but, you know, I did, you know, fortunately I, I had the money available and, you know, I, I did pay a sizable chunk of money to, to get into a mentorship program. But like I said, it accelerated. And I think it, it also provided somewhat of a safety net, you know? So every time I, every time I was getting close to putting an offer in, you know, my mentor and I would get over the phone, would go over the numbers, would go over the, the comps in the area. And, you know, there were a couple of times where he's like, no, don't, don't, you know, this is, this is not as good as you think it is. And he'd point out why or why not. Um, and then a couple of them, we put offers in. He's like, yeah, this, this is, this is going to be a good little deal. I agree with what you, you have on paper go ahead and put your offer in, you know? So I, I think he, he saved me from making a couple of mistakes, you know, not to say that we would have got those buildings under contract anyway, but we probably would have overbid on them and who knows, maybe we would have. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's different strokes for different folks. Do you have to vet your mentors? Absolutely. You know, I think you, you have to make sure that um, there's an alignment there and you know, the, there's, there's enough experience on that side of the table to, to help you get your, you know, get what you need out of the program. Um, every mentorship program is shaped differently and, um, you know, di different strokes for different folks. Right. Got it. And you know, that makes so much sense because at the end of the day, like, why would you, why would somebody want to go ahead and make the mistakes on their own? If they could have somebody holding their hand saying like, Hey, I made this mistake once don't do it. And, you know, I, I happen to be a big believer in mentorship. Also, I got, I have a, a paid mentor that's working with me. And I just feel like for anybody out there that wants to, you know, get a job, they're going to go to college, they're going to spend money to educate themselves to make a good living. 
um, real estate, you know, the potential so much, like, don't you think, you know, to everyone out there that that's against men mentors, um, I'm not, again, like, I can hear both sides of the coin, but I think, like, it's very logical to understand that, like, maybe you should uh, pay something towards your education if this is, how, you know, how you want to make your living, um, just like in every other way of the world, you know, and everything else. That's kind of how it works. You know, and when, when I first told my wife, I'm like, hey, I really want to do this mentorship program, you know, sit down when I tell you how, so I can tell you how much it costs, you know. <laughs> um, she heard the number and she's like, well, we've got the money in, a, in an account and this is just like going back to school and getting another degree. Right. You know, and I appreciate that she saw it that way, you know, number one, and I appreciate that she supported me. But, you know, that that's that's exactly what she thought when when I said, hey, I want to pay twenty twenty five thousand dollars for a mentorship program. And she just said, hey, it's, it's like a degree. It's like going back to school and getting an education to, you know, pivot and, and pursue another career field. And that's exactly what it is, you know. So and the other thing lies with multifamily is if you want to have traction with the brokers and you want to have any chance of getting a commercial loan, you have to have somebody on your team that has experience. And depending on the mentorship program, or maybe you have an informal mentor, which, you know, those work as well. Um, you know, you, you have the opportunity to partner with them as well, bring them on as, you know, the experienced guy in the deal, as far as the loans concerned, or you can leverage their experience when you're talking to brokers. You're like, hey, I'm working with a group and we have 800 property, 800 units under management, right? You don't have to tell them that your mentor has all 800 and you have zero, but you know, it's, you can borrow their credibility when you're talking to the brokers. Um, obviously get their permission before you do it first, but you can borrow their credibility and it's gonna unlock more doors for you than you know, knocking on the door yourself. Got it. Right. That makes so much sense. Um, I'd like to dive in for a second into you. You did this um, basically having two, I mean, a full-time job and investing pretty much full-time on the side. Um, for most people starting out, I feel like that's a big excuse that people use. Like, oh, I have a full-time job. I'm too busy. I can't do this. It's, you know, it requires a lot of time, energy, effort. I already have so much going on. Um, I'd like to know like what your secret is. Do you have more than 24 hours in a day or like what's going on? Like you're a full-time military. You're also buying apartment complexes all over the place. <laughs> like yeah. what's going on? How are you getting that done? You know, I, I think it all comes down to, to my why, you know, I call it my big burning why, you know, um, you know, there's a couple of times where, you know, emotionally, I think I hit rock bottom. You know, it was, I, I've deployed several times, you know, been away from my family for, for long periods of time. And one of the big turning points was um, I was off on a ship, you know, seemingly all alone. You know, it felt like I was all alone anyway, away from my family, couldn't communicate with them, couldn't, you know, and I just had the realization that I didn't want to be forced to be away from my family for long periods of time. And I knew that the, as long as I stayed in the military, that, that was a genuine possibility. You know, there's always deployments, always always a need for people to, you know, spend, you know, six, eight or 14 months in Iraq or Afghanistan or, you know, pick a location. But, you know, I, I keep on remembering that, you know, the longer I stay in this business, the more likely it is that I'm going to have to pick up and leave my family for six or eight months. Now, as a matter of fact, somebody from my office in, in a couple months 
is going to have to deploy soon, you know, and since I have my retirement papers in right now, it's not going to be me this time. But end of the day, you know, I focused on my why. And my why was if I, if I continue to stay in the Marine Corps, I will have to do these things that I don't want to do. I'll have to uproot my family again, you know, and every move with older and older kids gets more and more difficult, you know? So my, my big burning why was, um, I, I realized that if I didn't do something differently, that I would stay in the Marine Corps until they kicked me out. You know, I had to, I had to come up with an exit plan and multifamily is my exit plan. It's, it's what I'm doing to avoid, you know, all those painful situations and replaying those painful situations every two to three years. Um, right. But yeah, that's, that's been the driver and it's, it's really easy to find time, you know, when you're trying to, when you have that big burning why right in front of you. Got it. Got it. It becomes almost like, it's not like a luxury or it's not like anything extra. It's not like that. You're just literally looking at it as like, I need to get this done because you had that big burning mm -hmm. why and like just going to get it done, whatever the costs are. And that, that's amazing. That's a really cool yeah. mindset. Um, I'd like to shift into um, right now, obviously with everything going on COVID and, you know, hopefully mm -hmm. soon vaccines and all that. Um, I'm curious with your underwriting, like, are you doing anything different? Are you being more conservative? Like what, you know, what, what has changed in the underwriting uh, now that, you know, COVID and all the uncertainty mm -hmm. is going on and like, and how you would present that to investors as well, that, you know, with yeah. all the risk that's going on out there, like how you, how you going about the underwriting? You know, very, very, very good question. I, I would say before COVID, we were, we were very conservative with our underwriting. You know, we, we've learned, you know, may, maybe not on the first couple of properties, but, uh, you know, a property we closed on, we actually had it under contract before, you know, COVID closed everything down. You know, if, if you looked at our, um, projected rent increases. We, we didn't have a lot of projected rent increases built in. You know, a lot of people are looking and they're, they're assuming the market rents are going to go up, you know, three, four, 5% per year. Um, you know, we had our three year target rents matching the comps today. You know, that's, that's what we did pre COVID. And now we're, we're looking at, so we closed another deal in November and it was the same thing. You know, our three year projections are what the comps are getting today, you know, and the other thing we did on, you know, one deal we, we did was right next to Clemson University and, you know, college campuses tend to get hit a little worse in some aspects because kids can choose to go to school or not, right? But uh, we put a 25% uh, total vacancy, I mean, economic vacancy plus physical vacancy, but we underwrote the property at 25% vacancy rate, you know, for year one. And... You know, wow. we're, we're optimists. We, we think things are going to get better. So year two, we underwrote it at a 15% vacancy, you know, and that's, that's economic, that's bad debt, that's uncollected rents plus, you know, your, your physical vacancies. Uh, so, so we add, add a little bit extra buffer in on that one. And, you know, if, if the numbers still work, you know, we will pursue it. And so we've definitely been conservative in underwriting. You know, we also look at our exit cap rates, you know, where we're typically underwriting at about a seven cap for exit. And if you know what that means, that just means we're not, we're not building in a whole lot of upside proceeds on the sale. We're actually, we're, we're actually figuring that the market's going to be worse when we sell it, you know, in three to five years. Um, you know, most, most experts say that cap rates still have room to compress and 
that just means your property prices are going to continue to go up. You know, the, the price per square foot and the price per unit will continue to go up. And we're assuming that those numbers are going to go down. You know, the price per square footage on multifamily will go down. And so, so that's what we're doing to make sure that we are conservative. Um, if, if there's still a really rosy picture economically, you know, the returns that we advertise, we'll, we'll be able to blow those out of the water. But, uh, you know, if, if things are a little more grim than they are right now, we'll still come pretty close to meeting our projections. Right. That's pretty cool. So it seems like you're almost underwriting at like a worst case scenario picture and mm -hmm. internally, like, you know, and you understand it's almost for sure going to be better than that and probably a lot better than that. So yeah. it's pretty much only upside. That, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. My, my partner was asked that same question and I loved his response, you know, cause he hates it when people say, did you stress test it? You know, if you look at our numbers, you know, a 25% vacancy rate year one, that's, if that's not, if that's not stress that. testing, I mean, <laughs> what is, you know, well, did you stress test it? Right, what do you right. mean? Did we stress test it? We know we, we underwrote a 25% vacancy year one. Who else does that? You know, but uh, anyway, that, that was his response and, you know, made me chuckle. But uh, what was the, if you don't mind me asking, what was the current vacancy at that this one that you did 25% vacancy projections? Like what was the current? Was it like five or 10? Or? So the current vacancy, you know, why we had it under contract varied, um, you know, it was, it was about 12% when we got it under contract and it hovered around the 10% mark. Um, this was an more interesting- than double. You more than doubled your, your projected vacancy. Right. But so this, this, this project was interesting because the current buyers bought it because they wanted to bulldoze it and put up class A student housing. So they, they purchased it two to three years ago. The county that it's in put a moratorium on building because Clemson University was growing really fast. They were bringing in more and more students, more programs, more faculty, more staff. And the surrounding infrastructure, you know, wasn't building as fast. They weren't building the roads and the sewers and electricity. So moratorium went on new construction. So this company who came in to bulldoze and develop now owned, they became accidental landlords. So they were not managing the property. They were not updating it. They were not. So, I mean, we've got an enormous CapEx budget for, for a C-class asset. Um, but they essentially, what, the, what their property manager told us during due diligence is they were told not to lose money, you know, it, so that they had no incentives for keeping it full. So the market average for, and this is even during COVID, the market average was still single digits, you know, six, seven, eight percent. Um, this particular property was sitting around 12, uh, but uh, we've owned it for just over a month right now. And we've already increased the occupancy significantly. Um, I, I, I haven't seen, I haven't seen the numbers in a couple of weeks, so I don't know exactly where we're at, but uh, um, we've also, the, the, the new leases that we have signed are actually well above our pro forma rents as what we expected to get. So um, yeah, so, so we more than doubled the current occupancy or the current vacancy. Um, and we really didn't need to, but you know, because COVID, you, you don't know. I mean, you don't know if there's gonna be another round of, of shutdowns and there, there is actually right now um, for anybody paying attention to the news, but uh, um, for anybody not living in a cave all by themselves, you know? Exactly. But, uh, yeah. All right. Super cool. Um, let's transition to the final four. And uh, question number one, you kind of already uh, touched on, but mm -hmm. the question is, what is your why? Yeah, my, my why is I don't want to 
pick my family up and move. I don't want to see my, my kids hearts break. You know, when I tell them, Hey, we're moving again in, in, you know, three weeks or five weeks or whatever. I don't want to have to uproot the family. I don't want to have to spend, you know, seven months away from them. I don't want to miss another birthday or a Christmas or a, you know, another Halloween. I seem to miss a lot of Halloweens, you know, but uh, um, not that it's a crazy important holiday, but it's fun, but uh, that's it. You know, I want to be with my kids on the important days in their lives and that's it. Amazing. Um, what is your favorite real estate book? Um, I would probably say Hunter Thompson's book about raising capital. Um, it's right there about 10 feet away. And I, I can't remember the full title, but it's got the words raising capital in it. Got it. Okay. That's, yeah. the, that's the most important part. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Hunter Thompson. I mean, he, he's a great guy. Got it. Got it. Um, what would be your best advice for somebody just looking to get started right now in real estate? What would be the first thing that they should do? I think first thing you got to do, and um, you know, I know we're going to get into the book here in a second, but you, you, you begin with the end in mind. You figure out what your end state is. Um, you figure out what, actually we just did, did books, but uh, my other favorite book would be Stephen Covey's Seven Habits. You begin with the end in mind. Figure out what you want to get out of it first. You know, figure out what your goals are and what your objectives are. Um, and then typically the path that you're going to take is just going to materialize. You're going to be like, hey, this is where I want to get this is where I'm at right now. And all of a sudden it's like, well, this makes sense. And you go the direction that takes you there the fastest. Great. Um, I was actually reading in the, in the book, uh, uh, Good to Great, I think it was. Mm -hmm. um, they talk about all the common denominators of all those successful CEOs and businesses that have like really exploded over like a certain period of time. And one thing they all had in common was exactly that. Like they all had a really, really clear vision. They knew exactly what they wanted and where they want it to be. And just like, you know, when you have that, like you're able to just achieve that, you know, when you actually know where you're going, there's a higher chance you're gonna get there. Yeah. So yeah, that, that's super cool. Brian, what would be your favorite hobby, not real estate related? You know, uh, gal, I, I've had a lot of little hobbies, you know, here and there, but uh, um, I, I do like spending time with my kids with whatever they're passionate about. But I think just me, you know, I like, getting outside and I like, you know, breaking a sweat. So, you know, when I lived in Rio, I paddleboarded a lot cause I was just that close to the water. Um, I, I can imagine where I'm living next, you know, buying a kayak cause there's going to be lots of rivers. So cool. um, yeah, stuff like that, mountain biking outside and something that, you know, I'm putting out a lot of energy. Nice. Awesome. All right, Brian, where can people reach you? So we've got two websites, uh, fouroakscapital.com. That's more, more geared towards people who want to invest with us. And then we have the podcast website, diaryofanapartmentinvestor.com. Awesome. Brian, thank you so much for joining the show. Uh, this was really, really awesome. You shared so much value to all the listeners and uh, hoping to get you back on here one day. And I hope to get on yours as well as the experienced investor someday. Absolutely. Yes to both. Awesome. Boom. Thanks yep. so much. Take care, man. Yep. Thanks.